We, we've just finished a teaching series that um, took us about 16 weeks to do. And um, during that time, we were looking at the subject of discipleship. Um, what it really means to uh, follow this person, Jesus. And um, as we've been doing that, as we've been walking through that teaching series, we, we've just been trying to figure out what it means for us to form a, a new culture and a new set of habits uh, around what it means to really take seriously uh, Jesus' invitation, but also his challenge uh, to follow him. And so over that time, we've developed a number of different tools that hopefully people will find helpful uh, in remembering really what it means to live life in, in three dimensions. And so we've been talking about living life three-dimensionally, uh, living life in an upward dimension, which is all about our connection to God, that we want to invest in habits and practices that help us to connect to God. Uh, We thought about um, living in this inward dimension, which is about developing our character, the kind of people we're becoming, and primarily the the kind of people we're becoming in the context of a community like this, in the context of a church community. And then lastly, we thought about the outward dimension, uh, thinking about our calling as individuals and as people, and what it means for us to engage in God's mission in the world. And so hopefully you'll be able to uh, pick up some of those tools, uh, maybe in the context of a small group or in a, in a community of friends, be able to use some of those tools to uh, develop um, our, our pursuit of Jesus. And really what we want to do is have a new language, um, a, a new vocabulary for what it means for us as a church to, to follow Jesus. And so... On the back of that, we're going to start a new teaching series today uh, for, for, the, for the summer. And uh, we're, going to, we're kind of doing something a little bit different. Uh, historically, we, we often do a teaching series around a topic or a theme, or we might take a, a book in the Bible and walk through uh, that book together. Um, but actually, what we're going to do this term is we're going to do a little bit of a character study. And um, we're going to look at a person, a uh, a figure in the New Testament, this guy uh, called Peter. And so we're going to spend the next six, seven, eight weeks uh, just unpacking the story of this, this disciple of Jesus, Peter. And so I guess the question is, who, who is Peter? Some of you will know Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples. Any of us who have read uh, the New Testament in any way, or maybe seen a film with Jesus in, um, <laughs> will know uh, that Peter is typically the disciple that, that many of us can identify with. Uh, Peter's often seen as this outspoken disciple. Uh, you get the impression that he often speaks before he thinks. He, he often... Um, puts his foot in it. Uh, he's that, that kind of character. But he was also Jesus's, one of Jesus' disciples that was willing uh, to take the most risks. Um, before he met Jesus, he was actually called Simon. 
Uh, and as Simon, he was one of the first people to understand the reality of who Jesus was. On one, on one occasion, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say I am? You know, what are people saying about me? And in Matthew 16, uh, the disciples reply. They say, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? And Simon answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies to Simon. He says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Cephas. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And so Jesus responds to Simon in this moment, and he says, Simon, you are Cephas. And Cephas is an Aramaic word, which we translate Peter, but it actually means rock or stone. And what Jesus is saying is, is that Simon, Simon, you're like a rock. And, and upon this rock, I'm going to build my church. In other words, Simon, this revelation that you've received, this, 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 this sign that you've received, this, this realisation of who you know I am, that's the foundation that I'm going to build everything upon. I'm going to build the foundation on. And it's going to become this amazing thing called the church. It's interesting to note that Peter is mentioned 191 times in the New Testament. In, in contrast to uh, the, the disciple John, who we're told was the disciple Jesus loved, he's only mentioned 50 times. In all the lists of the disciples, Peter is often the one mentioned first. And he becomes a key leader in the church. And in case you don't know it, the Catholic Church see him as the leader of the church. So where, where should we start? Uh, where could we begin to look at the scriptures? So if you've got a Bible, we're going to be in Luke chapter 5. And I just want to read the first 11 verses of Luke Five. It says, One day, as Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got in one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to pull a little way out from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've been working hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came 
and filled both boats so full they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell to Jesus' knees and said, Go, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats to the shore, left everything and followed him. And so this this passage is is really a kind of like a defining moment for Peter. It's this moment where he encounters Jesus, where he meets Jesus uh, for the first time, and he makes this choice uh, to be his disciple, to be his follower. But to kind of understand the significance of, of what's going on here, to kind of... Uh, realize what is really happening to just shed the light on it a little bit. I think it's sometimes helpful to have a little bit of understanding of some other things that are going on in the background. And one of the things that's helpful to understand is is the whole way that Jewish people educated their children. See, one of the ways that the Jews passed on their faith to the next generation was through their education system. And an education that centred around primarily studying what we now call uh, the Old Testament. In fact, rabbis who were the, the teachers of the day would often argue about how old a child could be before they would begin to memorise the scriptures. In the Talmud, an ancient Jewish teaching document, it states, Under the age of six, we do not receive a child as a pupil. From six upwards, we accept him and stuff him with the Torah like an ox. And so Jewish boys would start their education. Uh, and they would start their education in a, in a, a school called Beit Sefer, which means house, house of books. And this really was the Jewish equivalent of primary school. And... Um, and so from the age of 6 to 10, your goal in, in the Jewish primary school was to memorise the Torah, the first, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Memorise every single word. And at, at the end of Betzephar was um, the, the best of the best would continue in their education. And so the best of the best would move on to something called Bet Talmud, which is uh, the house of learning. And so at this stage, between the age of 10 to 14, they would focus not on just memorising the first five books, the Torah, but also the rest of the Jewish scriptures, something that many Jews still do uh, to this day. But then if you were the best of the best of the best, at the end of Bet Talmud, you would present yourself to a rabbi. You would present yourself uh, to a teacher and enter into something called Bet Midrash, uh, which means house of study. 
And to step into Bet Midrash, a student would have to be the best of the best of the best. We're talking Ivy League, we're talking Oxford, Cambridge. You would have to be that kind of person. Now, every rabbi, every teacher of the day had their own interpretation, their own way of teaching and interpreting the scriptures. And, and that was called their yoke. Okay? That, was, that was what they taught. And, and um, in order to spread their yoke, a rabbi would look for the best disciples. He would look for the best of the best of the best. And so he'd ask them questions, you know, it's like, the scriptures say this, what do you say? And um, he would test them and see if they really were as good as they said they were. And, And so if a rabbi believed you were the best of the best of the best, he would invite you to come follow him. And so upon hearing those words... The disciple would leave his family, he would leave his village, and he would follow the rabbi, the teacher, wherever he went. As a result, uh, there was a prayer of blessing prayed over every student at that time. And the prayer of blessing was, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. And the hope was that a disciple would follow the rabbi so intently so closely that the dust of his sandals uh, would cover him. And so whatever the rabbi did, the student did. If the rabbi prayed a certain way, then the student chose to pray a certain way. If the rabbi told a certain story, then the student, the disciple, would learn to tell that story. If the rabbi ate certain things, then you get the picture, you know, he... He would do everything uh, the rabbi said. Now, if you didn't make the grade, if you weren't the, the best of the best of the best, a rabbi would turn to you and he would say something like this. You don't have what it takes. Go back to your village, go home, work your trade and pray that one of your children will be good enough. That's what would happen. And so when we think about that, that education system, and we think about the passage that we've, we've read this morning, it kind of, kind of puts it in a new light, doesn't it? Now, first of all, we see something about Peter. You see, in this, this passage, Peter and his friends, they're fishermen. And because they're fishermen, it means they weren't considered to be the best of the best of the best. It means at the age of 14 or 15, he and his friends were told, go home, you're not good enough. Go home, you're not going to make it. It also tells us something about Jesus. You know, Jesus at this stage is becoming like a rock star rabbi. You know, he's becoming a superstar. People are talking about him. They're trying to figure out who he is. I imagine all the, you know, the best of the best of the best people have been approaching him, saying, Jesus, what's your yoke? 
Can I follow you? In fact, we see it. We see it in Matthew 19. A rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what can I do uh, to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, sell all your possessions, give it to the poor and come follow me. Jesus is making it really clear to this guy. If you want to follow me, if you want to be my disciple, this is what you need to do. But Peter and his friends are different. They're not looking. There's no rabbi they can ask to follow because they've already been told, go home. But for Jesus, the rules seem to change. I don't know if you've noticed that about Jesus. He, he often messes with the rules. Um, because Jesus doesn't go to the best of the best of the best. Instead, he goes for those who supposedly aren't good enough. The ones who don't make the grade. The ones that didn't memorise the Torah. The ones that skipped and bunked, you know, um, whatever classes they did. I don't know what they did. Um, And maybe... I don't know about you, but maybe the people that Jesus went to are the ones I can relate to the most. You know, it's really easy, isn't it, to get intimidated by certain people. You know, people who you think, oh man, they they know a lot. Is it just me? Okay. Um, But it is, you know, I think Jesus goes to the underdog, doesn't he? He goes to the ones that were rejected. And so... As we look at this encounter that Peter has the first time he meets Jesus, what can we take away? What can we take away today quickly? And I think there's four, there's four things uh, that I just quickly want to tell you. First of all, the kind of disciples that Jesus looks for, they're not the best of the best of the best, but the kind of disciples that Jesus looks for love to hear what Jesus has to say. It says, Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee and people were crowding around him, listening to the word of God. See, wherever Jesus went, crowds followed. Wherever he found himself, people flocked to hear what he wanted to say. He was becoming this rock star rabbi and everybody wanted to hear him. Now, this passage doesn't tell us what Jesus said. Uh, We have no idea of knowing. But maybe, maybe the message that he brought at that moment was a message to those who felt rejected. Those who weren't good enough. Those who didn't make the grade. Maybe some of the words of Jesus on that day could have been been this. Come to me, all who are weary and burdened. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and, I, and you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't know if Jesus said that or not. He could have done. And then there's Simon in this story. He's cleaning his nets. He's been fishing all night. He's exhausted. He hasn't caught a thing And all I can imagine he's thinking is, I want to go home. I need to go to bed. It's kind of how I feel on a Sunday. Um, 
I ever go to bed or I watch films where people die. You know, action films. You know. um, it's it's have to, having to be nice on a Sunday morning, does that? No, I'm only kidding. I'm teasing. I don't know if any of you have ever been fishing. Um, have we got any ang- ang- anglers, is it? Is that the term? We've got two that will admit it. Um, man, fishing is boring. I don't know if you've ever, ever realised fishing is, is boring. Um, it took me about half an hour to realise fishing is boring. I quite enjoy catching fish. Um, but it seems that those who really like fishing, the catching is not that important. Um, and actually, the, 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 the experience of fishing, sitting there looking at this thing, bob up and down. Um, yeah, um, we'll pray for you. Um, so catching fish is fun, but fishing isn't always that fun. And these guys in our story are professionals, okay? They know what they're doing. Uh, They do this every single night. And on this occasion, they haven't caught a thing. And so Jesus, he, he continues to teach and the crowds are pressing in and he gets in one of these boats and he says, he says to Simon, just row your boat out a little further from the shore and I'm going to teach from your boat today. And one of the things that I've realised, and I don't know if you've noticed this, is that sometimes Jesus will get in your boat and his timing feels all wrong. Sometimes Jesus will step in to your boat and you're thinking, oh Jesus, not now, I haven't got time. It might be that we feel too tired for Jesus to step into our boat. It might be that we're too busy. Maybe there are other things that have our attention right now. We haven't got time for Jesus to get in our boat. But the thing I think I want to challenge us on this morning is maybe it's those moments of the times when we need to hear him the most. Maybe it's in those moments when we're distracted and exhausted and worn out. And all we want to do is go and lie down. They're the times when we want to hear him the most. We need to hear him the most. You know, we gather here every Sunday. And um, we, we worship, we open up the scriptures, we pray. And we do all these, these wonderful things. And my guess is, is if you're anything like me, there are a thousand and one other things you could be doing. Right? I mean, what does the rest of the world do whilst we're in here? <laughs> you know, and I'm guessing whatever they do, some of those things you could be doing. You know, in a culture where we're, where we're under pressure uh, to work to an exponential rate, where we're expected to give more than we can physically manage, the, the temptation, isn't it, to say, not now, Jesus. Jesus, if you get in my boat right now, it's just, it's just really inconvenient. <laughs> Can I just say that if that's true for you, you're not alone. You know, most Sundays 
I feel a little bit like this. And so the challenge is, is that we have to push through, don't we? We, we? we have to get through it. Now, this isn't a, you should be in church every Sunday talk, okay? We don't take pictures, we don't... Well, we do take a register, but we... Um, uh, um, but the challenge is, is, is there moments in our lives, is there times in our lives where we feel like we haven't got time for Jesus. We haven't got time for him to get in our boat. And so my conclusion is this, that those are the times that we need him the most. Those are the times where we need to hear him the most. And it's often in those moments when we stop and we say, okay, Jesus, I'm going to hear you. I'm going to hear what you have to say. Despite my circumstances, despite how busy I feel, despite how tired I am, I'm going to make space to hear you. See, disciples are the ones that love to hear what Jesus has to say. And they're the ones that make space to hear him. The second thing is the kind of disciple that Jesus looks for. It's not the best of the best of the best but it's the ones who are called to obey even when it doesn't make sense. Verse 4. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the net. I don't know if you can realise how ridiculous this request is, um, but first of all, there's Jesus, this former carpenter, uh, telling Simon, a professional fisherman, what to do. Okay, it's, it's kind of like, oh, I don't know, kind of like me trying to tell somebody who's a brain surgeon how to fix a brain. Um, it just, it's just ridiculous. Not only that, it's that these guys have been fishing all night and they haven't caught a single thing. And, and it's actually probably the middle of the day now. And um, apparently you can't catch fish in the middle of the day. They all hide. Um, so you can't catch fish in the middle of the day. And so what Jesus is asking at this moment, it makes no sense. It's, it, it, it can't work. It's, it's illogical. It's, it's impossible. It's, it, it doesn't make sense. And Peter's like, Master, I don't know why you're asking me to do this. I don't know why you're even saying to drop our nets into the water again. It makes no sense. But because you say so, I will. And you see, as disciples of Jesus, we we face those moments, don't we? We have those moments where it doesn't make sense, where he's been going and he's, he's asking us uh, to go somewhere that takes us out of our comfort zone, where he's leading us to something that seems ridiculous, where we might say, you know what, this doesn't add up. It doesn't make sense. But, 
because you say so, I will. That's the kind of disciple Peter was. So what's Jesus saying to you? What's he, what's he leading you into? What's he asking of you? Are you shaking your head and thinking, this isn't going to work, this isn't going to pan out, it, it's, it's not going to happen? If that is you, then what's your response? Is it, I don't think so, Jesus? Or is it because you say so? I will. Six simple words. It says in verse 6, When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. You see, when we learn to respond to what Jesus is saying to us, there is always a promise of abundance. There's always a promise of more, more than we can imagine. And see, we're the kind of people who give away the best of who we are and the best of what we have. That's what we're called to do. The truth is you only get to keep what you're willing to give away. You only get to keep what you're willing to give away. And that's hard at times, isn't it? It makes no sense. It seems completely illogical. Why would I do that? But the promise is abundance. The promise is two boats full of fish sinking. That's pretty good odds, isn't it? Thirdly, the kind of disciples Jesus looks for are aware of their own shortcomings. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go, go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. And you see, it's his response to his obedience to Jesus that it's in that response that he realises who Jesus really is. That the, 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 the glory and the goodness of Jesus is revealed in that moment. And suddenly Peter is confronted with the reality of who he is. Now I imagine at the time Peter's feeling fairly frustrated. He's been fishing all night. They've caught nothing. And you know, this is his livelihood. This is the way he makes provision for himself, for his family. It's his security. And along comes this carpenter and he tells him to have one more go. And suddenly there's more fish than he could imagine. And so Peter begins to see that total dependence upon Jesus leads to an abundance of provision. You see, there's, G- there's Peter. He's, he's been chasing a few fish. That's what he's been doing all night. He's been chasing a few fish out of his own strength. And now he's got a boat full of them. You see, we can live with self-reliance. We can do what we can do to make sure we have what we 
need. But the reality is, is that no matter how big the paycheck is at the end of the month, no matter how big the house is or the car, eventually it's still going to fall short. And so total dependence on Jesus is that brings, it brings more than we can humanly imagine. You know, we're, we're in the middle of a, a building project. We're attempting to buy a building. And, um, you know, six months ago, I stood here and said, OK, if we're going to buy a building, we need £150,000 to buy this building. And I'll be honest with you, I had no idea how we would do that. And um, to be honest with you, I didn't think we had it in us as a church. You know, I just thought, there's no, there's no way we're going to do that. You know, but we, here we are, six months later, um, we're a few weeks away from buying this, this building. And it's been a journey of us learning to trust Jesus, isn't it? It's been a journey of us learning to trust that he can provide more than we can humanly imagine. That he can provide more than we can just generate ourselves. And so there's still more to be done. You know, we've, we, there's one thing buying a building. The next is making it a place where you're willing to come and bring your children. Okay? And so there's still more to be done. We still need to raise more money. But you know what? If he can do the 150000 do you think he might do the 50000 we need to do it up? Possibly? Maybe? Um, but, you know, in my ability, we could get zero. <laughs> there's nothing I could humanly do to raise that money. But the more and more we turn to him, the more and more we're dependent upon him, the more provision he makes for us. And then lastly, Jesus doesn't look for the best of the best of the best, but he looks for the kind of disciples who are willing to lay it all down and follow. It says, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid, for now, from now on you will fish for people. So they pulled up their boats up to shore and left everything and they followed him. You see, what Jesus did in that moment in the provision of the fish was really a picture of what he was calling Peter to do with the rest of his life. That Jesus was making Peter into a person who fished for men. And I think in that moment, Peter... And his friends, they suddenly see the bigger picture. That their lives were meant for more than just making ends meet. Jesus in John 10.10 says, I've come that you may have life and life in its fullness. And all of us are invited into something that's far more real than the next payday. It's far more real than the next holiday we can plan or far more real than the next watch that Apple can bring out in September. (laughs) And so here's the challenge. Are we willing to lay down our schedule And our priorities to make space to hear 
Jesus? Are we willing to give up our idea of success and just obey Jesus, even if it doesn't make complete sense? Are we willing to give up our priorities, acknowledging our own shortcomings and being totally dependent upon him? Are we willing to lay it all down and respond to his call to come follow me? So that's what Peter did. Peter responded. And it wasn't just his life that changed, but the world completely changed. Sure, he wasn't the best of the best of the best. He was one of those who were told to go home. He was one of those who was told, you don't make the grade. And we'll see as the weeks go on, he, he still carried on messing up. He still carried on getting it wrong yet Jesus saw something in Peter I think you see when a rabbi chose his student when he chose his disciple what he was saying to that person was I think you can do what I do I think you can be like me I think you can do the things that I'm going to teach you to do. And maybe Jesus is saying the same thing today. Maybe he's saying, come to me. Be with me. You know, if you're weary, if you're burdened, if you feel like you don't make the grade, come to me. And I'll give you rest. I'll give you rest for your soul. For my way, my way of teaching the scriptures, my way of doing life, my way of working out what it looks like to be a pursuer of God is easy and light. Shall we stand? I'm going to invite the band back. As part of our response today, we're going to uh, celebrate communion. And um, hopefully we've got some folks ready to uh, serve us communion this morning. And, and, and maybe this morning as you receive communion, uh, there's an opportunity for you, maybe, maybe even for the first time, to respond to Jesus' call to say, come and follow. Come and follow me. And it's, it's doing that in all the ways that we've talked about this morning. It's doing that because we want to be people who hear his voice. It's doing that because we, we want to be the kind of people who respond to him 
even when it doesn't make sense. And to do that is because we want to be the people of God who are willing to lay it all down, regardless, just because we need to be obedient. And so as you come to receive those elements this morning, maybe that could be the prayer of your hearts. And maybe for some of you, that's the first time. Maybe for some of you, it's the first step towards following the person of Jesus this morning. And so I think we're going to have alcoholic communion to the front and non-alcoholic to the back. So you can receive whichever you wish to receive. The way we do communion here is you take a piece of the bread and just dip it in the cup and receive communion that way. If after you've received communion this morning, you would like someone to pray for you, then I would just encourage you just to come to the front here uh, and we'll have some folks ready to pray for you. So the band are going to play, we're going to worship, and as you feel led to, receive the elements this morning. If you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus and you've got no intention of following him, you can sit this one out. Uh, That's okay. Um, but this morning, just, I just sense there's an opportunity for some, maybe for the very first time, to just respond to that call to follow him as we receive the body and the, the blood that he shed this morning.